Welcome to the Impact Investing Podcast from Circa 5000. I'm Matt Latham. And I'm Tommy Gillicuddy. Remember, nothing in this podcast is financial advice, and when investing, your capital is at risk. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. We're back with another episode of the Impact Investing Podcast. And uh, this week, as all good Impact Investing podcasts do, we're talking about oil um, and OPEC and OPEC Plus, Tom, Mm. the new OPEC. And um, we've got another example, maybe it could be its own feature, of someone misinterpreting what ESG yeah, is. Yeah, a weekly thing we do. Um, ESG Watch, <laughs> just name that. Um, but first, and obviously, as always, the highlight of the pod, over to the Tom McGillicuddy for uh, Admin Corner. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, so keep the questions coming in, please. Um podcast at circa5000.com. Uh, please like and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, share with your friends and watch the videos on YouTube if you're that way inclined. Yeah. Um, chart news, my favourite bit of every pod. Um, quite a bit of chart news this week. Wow. We're in the old faithful of Chile, the new <laughs> old faithful. Uh, a second week in the Latvian charts. Um, back in the Belgium charts. And huge announcement. No. We've been welcomed back into the warm, loving embrace of our home nation, Great Britain, which is just... I can't believe it. I know. I mean, it, we'll, we'll probably be off by this afternoon, but thank you. I mean, it's perplexing that we're, we've only been in there twice fleetingly. Um, cheers, everyone. Thanks. Given that 60% of our listeners are in the UK. I'm not sure what's going on with these charts. At least we've got, at least we've got the uh, people of Latvia are behind us. I mean, I've always had a soft spot for the people of Latvia. Do we have any uh, competitions that we're running that you want to update us on, Matthew? No, I don't think so. Okay. Oh, no, we do actually, sorry. Right. So the ISA competition will be finished by the time uh, this gets released. So if you've missed that, That's tough. you've missed it. You know, we did warn you. Next time, get your act together. Um, uh, but there is a new... That means that for following the 5th of April, you're in the new tax year and you're in the new ICA year, so your ISA allowance will refresh and uh, you have a fresh £20,000 allowance to go and top up. So no competition around that, Tom, at the moment, but it's just a little <laughs> a bit of admin. Yeah. Um, the pension competition is still running, so terms and conditions apply, um, but there is a chance to win £20,800. That runs till the end of May. Mm-hmm. Check the show notes for the terms and conditions, but you have to open a Circa 5000 pension if you don't already have one and transfer an old pension into your new Circa 5000 account. Mm-hmm. So that competition is still live till the end of May. Um, check the show notes for the terms and conditions, Tom. Great. Should we dive in? Yeah, so... Um, we, we picked up on a, a bit of news this week around oil prices. Um, oil prices are these things that, that you know, sort of can, can be led by the economy and can also be a sort of, or you can see them as a predictor mm. um, of how things are going to go. Um, obviously, oil, uh, a massively important commodity, feeds into the, the price of goods, feeds into the price of basically everything, transport. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, it is controlled um, not in a small part by uh, a group of nations called OPEC and an associated group of nations called OPEC Plus. Mm. Um, And these are all the big oil-producing nations who basically club together to decide how much they will produce. Um, 
and together they're responsible for about 36% of uh, OPEC is responsible for about 36% of uh, global oil production and obviously by setting the amount that they collectively produce they can sort of set the price so yeah. they can they can limit supply or they can oversupply depending on how they want to control prices so tom what have opec plus done this week opec plus the organization for petroleum exporting countries catchy plus plus some th- other people um <laughs> opec not plus opec original as opec I call original them. um the ogs of, of oil <laughs> Price manipulation. Um, big the, the the big the big countries that contribute are Iran, Iraq, Kuwait. In terms of proven reserves and production, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and Venezuela. So it doesn't include some of the other big oil producing nations of the world like uh, the US. Um, officially, doesn't include Russia, but Russia are in OPEC plus. Yeah, I don't know what you've got to do to be in OPEC plus and not be in OPEC. No, we'll have to. Find that out. Doesn't include Canada and, and countries like that. So what what they've done is they've agreed to cut oil production by uh, a million barrels per day. Um, OPEC currently produce around about twenty seven, twenty eight million per day globally. About there's there's about seventy seven million uh, produced per day. So it's not a massive percentage. Not a massive, but it's just whenever they do something, there's news. Like as long as we've worked in financial services. There's always been OPEC have made this decision, OPEC have done this, OPEC have done that, and it's kind of the ramifications of what that means and, and, and why they're doing it that kind of reverberates around the market. Yeah, and I think the thing with this is it was it was done out of their regular me- meeting yeah. cycle, yeah. so it's sort of like an in, it, it, it's sort of a a very short notice cycle. It's a <laughs> it's a classic intracycle move, really classic move. Um, it's it's you know it's been taken, it's caught people off guard a little bit, um, and Obviously, with these things, it's not only about the price of oil. Yeah. It's a highly political thing as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this this I think it's almost a signal to the US that look, we can do things. We can, yeah. We we can control the oil price, um, and we can do things that you may not like, and there's not much you can do about it. So, yeah. um, I mean, oil prices did react. So yeah. oil, oil prices, it had the desired effect in terms of, obviously, if you're an oil-producing nation, what you want is to pump as much oil out the ground as possible yeah. and sell it for the highest possible price. So mm-hmm. that's the balance here. Yeah. You know, If you pump more out the ground, you're likely to reduce the price. So this is why they try and control production, control yeah. the price. So um, you know, when Silicon Valley Bank uh, collapsed and we had the we did have. We talked about contagion. There was a contagion yeah. risk. Well, there was a little bit of contagion. Maybe there was. You know, we're still not fully through that woods yet. I think, but there was obviously the big fallout was Credit Suisse then merged with yeah. UBS. Um, that spooked global economy, and when mm. and when the global economy gets spooked, you tend to see a drop in oil price, and that is what you saw. So oil oil dropped um, from where it was in the middle of twenty two, which is one hundred and twenty dollars a barrel. It dropped down to about seventy. But this announcement picked it up to about 80 yeah. a barrel. Yeah. So, um, you, you know, oil price is quoted in dollars per barrel, basically. Yeah, but uh, yeah. it's just, it's, I suppose, it's, it, the, 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 the ramification or what people are thinking is, what does this mean for inflation? Um, something that all major economies have, have been battling at the moment. And so generally speaking, rising oil prices are not good for inflation. So perceived to be, you know, not great for the US, UK, or European economies that are trying to lower inflation. Um However, you know, higher prices being um, supported could suggest, the flip side of that is that it could suggest there's positives for the global um, economy. Yeah, so uh, there's growth coming through, perhaps. It's whether you see oil price as like a leading or lagging indicator. Mm. You know, if people think that, if, if oil prices drop on the prediction that 
economies will get worse yeah. or whether you you believe that you know they reflect where economies are or you know yeah. it's and, and and the answer is it's it's multi-factor right so yeah. um there's obviously is a futures you know it's heavily dictated by a futures market people forward buying yeah uh, oil and things like that but um you know and i think that there was this other political element to this which was um this announcement came shortly after the u.s had basically said that they may take years to refill up their their stockpiles of oil. So yep. what had happened is the the US had deliberately run down its reserves of oil, mm-hmm. uh, basically trying to bring the price of oil down to try and combat inflation. Um, and what it had said though was it had said to Saudi Arabia, mm. uh, who big big political nation, but also big obviously massive oil nation, and and, and ha- historically has relatively good relations with the US. They they'd said to Saudi Arabia, look. If the price drops, we will buy oil to rebuild our stockpiles mm, yeah. and support prices in that way. But when when the price dropped around the Silicon Valley Bank time, the US came out and said, "Oh well, we're not going to buy oil now. We're, you know, it may take us a few years to fill these stockpiles up." And the Saudis have reacted by going, "Right, yeah. well, if you're not going to buy when prices drop, we're going to we're yeah, going to cut yeah. production." Yeah. It's a constant wrestle between the big oil-producing nations, basically, is what is is an element of this. I suppose what people will be, be looking at now is, we've talked heavily in, in previous podcasts about central banks and inflation, central banks yeah. rising interest rates to combat inflation. Um, but we're now getting to a point where a lot of financial markets are you know, betting on uh, or viewing that central bank rate rises will be slower, if not already peaked in certain geographies. Will this have any meaningful impact on their plans? Because central banks are in this tough position, which is inflation is high. Um, they're trying to bring it down. There's been some success in certain geographies at doing so by raising interest rates, but growth is kind of weak. It's still, it's still weak in a lot of geographies. And so by raising interest rates, does it hinder any future potential growth? And so yeah. there's a constant trade-off between these two things. Does the oil price uh, being um, being raised, does it meaningfully change the course of central bank action? Yeah. Um, so... To be determined. I mean, the, if you look at the financial markets at the moment, the the betting has kind of you know the the, the predicted prices of sorry the predicted rates of uh, of certain central banks has changed a little bit, but it kind of remains to be seen what happens. And I think the the initial market reaction there was obviously the oil price increase about six to eight percent or whatever it was um, by the end of the trading day. But the initial market reaction in other areas hasn't really kind of done it. There's nothing been nothing major. It's been quite muted in other areas of the market. Yeah, and I think why that is is basically. You know, there's there's always a little bit of flex in in where interest rates are going to go. There's still a bit of debate about whether the last interest rate rise in the US was the last. Mm-hmm. There's also the next part of the debate is once you've reached what we've referred to before as the terminal interest rate, the peak of the interest rate yeah. rises. It's then about how long you maintain that peak rate for, and even when you start to cut it yeah. back. So that's the bit that's probably up for more debate now. Yeah. People know that rates are probably within a range of where they're going to be yeah. for the terminal rate. It's about now what does the shape of that look like in terms yeah. of when do you start to cut them back down uh, and how long do you have to leave rates higher for. Also, I think the oil price isn't going to have a material effect on that while prices in other areas are coming down. Mm-hmm. As long as the oil price stays within a sensible range. Bound, yeah. you know, and, and $80 a barrel is not a historic no, it's historically high. You no. know, no. Um, I think you'd have to get north of 100, north of 120, yeah. before people start to say, right, oil prices are now really unsustainably high. But then, you know, again, price, demand, all these basics of, of yeah. supply and demand economics is basically that if the prices get too high, people stop buying it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, 
you know, the real question here is, as a long-term impact investor, what does it mean for for you? Yeah. And, you know, we'd always say, whatever whatever index it is, whatever price it is, whatever you're looking at, you know, you shouldn't really focus on short-term movements in price on on anything. Yeah. Um, as an impact investor, you might start reading into, well, oil prices are going up, so that must mean that, you know, oil-based energy is 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 not viable anymore and therefore it's going to fuel clean energy and it's, it's actually that is a way more complicated yeah, yeah, thing than yeah. than you would ever think on the face of it yeah um you know you have to look at the production of things for clean energy and all, all the rest of it so yeah. there's, there's a way more nuanced argument there about what oil prices mean for for other energy sectors yeah um but also the, these movements aren't really extreme no. So, you know, there was a suddenly like an extreme movement, like when we had during COVID mm. where, you know, oil dropped and started trading negatively. Yeah. Um, you know, that's an extreme movement that, that you know, if it happened in isolation and not during the peak of a pandemic would have been a thing that you could have focused yeah. on maybe. But, you know, the same thing, the, the long-term investment principles hold true regardless, really. Yeah. They're all, they're, you know, they're principles for all weathers. Yeah. Um, and, I think your job as investors is to, you know, understand this stuff, yeah. take an interest in it, but does it materially change anything you're doing? It shouldn't do, really. Yeah, ob- yeah, exactly. Observe it, understand. I think when when OPEC do something, there's always there's always big news in the financial kind of press, but it doesn't really change, you know, the the short term, medium term, long term picture. Once it's in a once it's in a range, you know, uh, an acceptable kind of range. And like you said, there's. High oil prices can mean good things for renewable energy, can mean bad things for them. It, the net effect is probably it doesn't really affect much as long as it's in a range. So stay long-term, uh, stay invested, uh, and stay investing with impact, not in oil companies. <laughs> yeah. Well, oil companies like high oil, oil prices, so they'll be they celebrating, as we said a couple of uh, weeks ago, um, you know, Oil prices, oil companies making profits isn't isn't necessarily the bad thing. It's what they what they do with them yeah. and how they how quickly they transition their businesses. And it's oil prices aren't the only determining factor of what oil companies do. You know, we've got the examples there of shareholder activism against BP and Shell. Yeah. You know, again, oil price is important, but it's not to be all and end all for those companies either. Yeah. Should we move on to our favourite topic? So this is the this is our ESG watch. ESG watch. It's where we are. If you see anything happening in ESG land, by the way, and you uh, you see anything out there in the wild that you think we should call out on the pod, please please send us uh, please send us the article, send us a little bit of information, what, and we'll what, look to cover it. This is a, this ESG is a new watch. segment where we sit smugly, going ha ha ha. <laughs> look at look at people misinterpreting ESG. We know the real definition. How smart are we? Exactly, exactly. So that. You know, we, we'll get a lot of pleasure out of this. We will, yeah. It might come across as wrong, <laughs> smug or wrong. We don't care. Keep the keep it coming. <laughs> so, no, I think this is a, a, an article that we both spotted yesterday and thought it was just worth a mention. Um, you know, let's be clear what we're going to say here about the about the about what um, the, this woman Caroline Casey is, is saying. She wants included in ESG. There's nothing wrong with the with the principles, the campaign, but it definitely doesn't fall mm. within. Uh, what what an ESG framework should be trying to achieve. So background to this is basically that um, there's a call for uh, the letter D to be added to ESG. Where would it be added, do you think? Uh, you could put it at the front. So yeah, yeah. Desg. Desga. Which is... Esgada. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and 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 that is for well, I think broadly you'd put it in sort of diversity and inclusion as the D, but I think it's more she's talking about disability specifically. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and I think this is this is again sort of look, the argument here is a sound one, which mm. is if if investors start to value um, the way that companies treat disabled employees, customers, etc., mm-hmm. then companies will start to act on it and you will get a societal shift yeah. and therefore things will improve. There's nothing wrong with the logic of that argument yeah. at all. I think where you perhaps um, where this where perhaps sort of diverge on our, our view is that that uh, this stuff should fall within an ESG mm. uh, data set, Tom. Yeah, it's uh, again yeah, something that I think that with ethical business and and uh, you know us would completely kind of agree with the sentiment of, which is you know um, making sure that part of the diversity and inclusion agenda is well represented and well understood, and employers do all they can to uh, make um, the, the environment you know, uh, a positive one for people with disabilities. 100% agree with all that. But to include that within the ESG risk framework for analysing a company's stock price and, and how it might be affected by an ES or G risk, I don't think is relevant. Yeah. And it's a, again, it's just another data point in a misunderstanding of what ESG is. What this person is describing is an ethical thing that businesses should be doing more of. Yeah. Um, diversity and inclusion is part of that ethical agenda, but this, this is a very obviously specific part of that ethical agenda, which businesses should 100% do. And I think modern ethical forward-thinking businesses should be thinking about these things. But I wouldn't confuse them with what ESG is. It's just another confusing data point. And it's probably another data point that, you know, the 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 right in the and the American political spectrum would you know lambast and say that there's all sorts of things encroaching on the ESG agenda. So I don't think was I don't think anyone's doing themselves any favors by attaching these additional things to what is that very very discrete and specific risk framework. I think it just makes it all way more confusing. And that article could be rewritten as a, a, a standalone thing without mentioning ESG. Correct. Companies yeah. need to do these yeah. things because this is massively overlooked. You know, they're a huge part of the workforce, people with disabilities, and and, and uh, you know X, Y, and Z needs to be done. ESG doesn't need to be mentioned in it at all. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think, look, as a, as a shareholder, assessing a risk of a company, yeah. you want to make sure that uh, the company is complying with all the labour laws, all yeah. of the, you know, not not going to bring itself, invite sort of, you know, a load of employee tribunals and things like that. That's obviously a, a given, but, you know, on the whole, big listed companies, well yeah. run. Yeah. They tend to comply with this stuff. They do, yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure you can find examples where they haven't, but, yeah. you know, on the whole. Um, and, and really as an investor, you're looking at whether, you know, can the company in industries, particularly where it matters, like tech and banking and all the rest of it, can they attract and retain the best talent? And do yeah. they have a competitive edge on that? Again, that would be a factor if you're doing a, yeah. a, a, a conclusive analysis of a company. Mm-hmm. And if it became a material risk yeah. where, you know, this company's got a fundamental problem with hiring, their staff yeah, yeah. turnover is, you know, yeah, yeah, 80% yeah. year over year, or, yeah. you know, they, they just they just can't compete on wages or they're just not ha- retaining the right talent, et cetera, yeah. then it becomes an issue. Yeah. Um, you know, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's a... Uh, I don't think it's a thing that would fall into the yeah. ESG definition. I think that if 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 ESG as a term is going to survive, the people that 
are involved in that part of the industry or adjacent to it, like us, I'd say we're adjacent to it, we all need to take more responsibility of talking about it in a properly defined way because yeah. otherwise it just leaves it way open to criticism, not on this specific issue necessarily, but on the other issues that we've talked about in previous podcasts. The, the more we don't define it, the more loose it becomes, the more dangerous it is to then bleed into other areas of the investment industry and it kind of just, there's an, there's an opposite effect. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's ESG Watch. ESG that Watch. catches on, we'll bring it back. <laughs> yeah. Um, but for now, we'll pause there. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Impact Investing from Circa 5000. Thank you for listening to Impact Investing, a podcast brought to you by Circa 5000. Remember, when investing, your capital is at risk, and this podcast is not financial advice. If you like what you hear, then please remember to like, subscribe and share the podcast.